there. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Dr. Laura Greenfield of lauragreenfield.com, and you're listening to Let's Talk Facilitation, where I offer practical solutions to everyday challenges in the college classroom. Specifically, I help introverted college educators develop unstoppable courage and transformative class facilitation skills in order to engage students equitably and advance social justice powerfully. Today, I'm talking about why some students are hesitant to share their ideas in class discussions and how you can support them to speak up. Now, there are a lot of different reasons that a student might not speak up in class, but today I'm going to be focusing on the students who are hesitant to share because they haven't yet developed an understanding of class discussion as something different from simply answering a teacher's question correctly or incorrectly. In other words, they don't really understand what is expected of them, and they're intimidated by a process that doesn't make sense. I chose this topic today because getting students to talk is a challenge that every facilitator wrestles with at some point, and usually relatively frequently. Part of what makes getting students to talk so tricky is that there are countless reasons why students might be silent in class, and therefore countless possible solutions. Some of those reasons, however, are pretty ubiquitous. They're predictable, so anticipating them And having a plan to support students can go a long way. And one of those ubiquitous reasons that students are hesitant to share their ideas in class is because they are worried what they might say is wrong. I remember years ago when I was teaching a middle school creative writing class, I had a student who interpreted any type of feedback or revision suggestion to his poetry drafts as condemnation that his poems were wrong. And I remember fretting over how to convince him that that just wasn't the case. It wasn't possible to be right or wrong when it came to expressing himself through poetry. Rather, I was just there to help him realize his vision for what he wanted to express and how, and to help him consider how a reader might interpret and experience the poems he crafted. But despite my best efforts, he was only willing to believe that a poem was good if I had zero feedback to offer. It was so frustrating and heartbreaking. And while undergraduate students might seem like a far cry from middle schoolers, many of them enter college with that same mindset solidified. And that mindset extends to class discussion participation. And so I've had to develop strategies over the years, often through trial and error, to help students understand the purpose of a class discussion and what meaningful discussion participation looks like and how to develop courage. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about why so many students have this particular fear. And then I'm going to get into a bunch of concrete steps you can take to help them alleviate this fear and develop their discussion participation skills. So get out a pen and some paper and let's make a plan. First, why do so many students worry that what they might say in class discussion is wrong? Well, oftentimes their earlier experiences in classrooms 
wasn't discussion-based, but rather they have been asked to answer a teacher's question, and that teacher did have a correct answer in mind. And so their assumption about what they are going to experience in your class discussion is based on a history of their interactive experiences in class being interacting really transactionally with the teacher. So students are assuming there is a right or wrong answer because often in their classes there has been. Um, And because they're assuming that there's a way to get it right and a way to get it wrong, they don't share their own ideas because they're worried their idea might be wrong. So how do you support them in expanding their view of what's possible in a discussion? First, I want you to be sure you are, in fact, asking open-ended questions that don't have a predetermined answer. If you secretly have a right answer you're hoping to lead them towards, your students are going to see through that. They're going to pick up on the fact that some students' answers are receiving a particular kind of positive response from you and are moving the discussion in a particular direction. And so if you have particular information that you want students to know, um, it's not that you are pretending you don't have knowledge and there aren't things that you want the students to learn, but then just be explicit in naming them. Here's some foundational knowledge I want everyone to have and share that with them, and then engage in discussion about the questions that are a little more elusive. So get clear on your goals and plan in advance so that you're not actually quizzing the class, but you are genuinely inviting them into a collaborative exploration of some kind. Second, I want you to explain the goals of the discussion explicitly to students. So often we have in our own mind an idea about what we're trying to achieve and why we're asking particular questions and what we want the students to do with them. But if we don't name it explicitly for the students, many of them are not going to know what we're looking for and then are going to have a hard time participating. So you want to explain to them explicitly, it's not about right or wrong. I don't have a specific correct answer in mind. Instead, what I want you to do is, and then offer your explanation. And so that might include things such as, I want you to ask even more questions in response to my question, or I want you to muse out loud about possible answers without having to commit to any answer, or I want you to share partial ideas so you don't have to have it all figured out. Share the beginning of an idea that you're still working through. Or maybe you tell them, I want you to build on each other's ideas. So take your classmates' partial idea and run with it a little further. Riff off of their comments. Just want you to weigh in. Uh, You don't have to be committed um, to a particular claim or view. Um, And you might tell them, I really want you to be open to evolving your thinking. So spend some time explaining to them what it is that you want them to do and why in the discussion. Third, I want you to take some time to give them a model of what that looks like. So to give them some examples to take this out of the abstract and into the concrete. 
So I want to share with you a couple ways that you might do this. There are limitless possibilities, but here's two to, to get you started. One might be to share with them a sample script of a part of a class discussion. And so you can actually walk them through what it might look like for somebody to pose a follow-up question, for a student to ask um, another question built on that or inspired by that, for another student to propose a partial answer and another student to build off of that and another student to revise that. So actually walk them through what does this look like in action and then take some time as a group to analyze that little dialogue that you shared with them. So have them talk about what they observe happening and be explicit about where a student might mistakenly think that there's a correct or incorrect answer and where the students in this sample script are in fact exploring rather than um, claiming a specific answer. So that's one, one way to offer a model. Another would be to be a little creative, um, to have them explore in a more abstract way um, what it is you want this experience to bring about. So for example, one time in my class, I had students who were very, very much tied to this idea that there's only a right or wrong way to participate. And so in all of the discussions, they kept just talking to me and answering my question directly to me, but really not turning to one another and engaging each other. And so what I did to help make a little more tangible what I was trying to verbally explain to them to be the purpose of the discussion, I brought in a bunch of Play-Doh and a plastic tray. And I put the Play-Doh in a big lump on the tray, and then I sent the tray in a circle around the room, and I asked each student to contribute to creating a sculpture, that we as a class were going to create a collaborative sculpture, and each person had to contribute one part. Now what that part looked like was up to them. It could be a piece that they build, they could add on to someone else's piece, they could manipulate someone else's piece to change it a little bit. The only thing they couldn't do was completely squash or rip off someone else's piece, and they couldn't build something separate from the sculpture. It had to all in some way attach or be connected to or shift the shape of the sculpture itself. And so as it went around the room, we spent some time talking about how this was a metaphor for the discussion and how we all were contributing to creating this one sculpture or this one experience or learning moment. But the contributions were not in isolation they were not standing alone. They were all working with the ideas and the questions and the contributions of each student before them. So I share this example with you to hopefully inspire you to think creatively about other ways to demonstrate to students what it is you're hoping they will achieve. 
Now, number four, once you have given them this model or these examples, take some time to practice the discussions with them. And so you might have a discussion prompt that you prepare that should be low stakes, that this is clear to them that this is a practice discussion. You're not grading their participation. It's not the, the central issue that the class is grappling with, but rather this is sort of an easier practice discussion. And what you can do is as you're having the discussion, have opportunities to pause throughout the discussion to guide them very explicitly. So you might pause after a number of comments and say, all right, we've heard a number of ideas. What we might do now is think about ways to build on those ideas. And then you might explicitly solicit ideas that build. Or then later you might pause again and say, this is a moment where it might be helpful rather than continuing to share our points of view, we might dig deeper to pose more questions. So now I'm gonna solicit questions that are inspired by the comments people have made so far. So you really hold their hand through the process, showing them different types of responses that could be useful at various stages of the discussion. Don't expect it to be perfect. It's gonna be awkward. There's gonna be a lot of missteps. That's okay. That is the point. It's practice and practice is messy and that's what it's there for. Finally, once you do get into the actual heart of the class discussions you're there to lead, be sure to praise the students and the class as a whole when they demonstrate the vulnerability that you are asking of them by taking risks to offer partial answers or to pose questions, um, to do the things that are stepping out of their comfort zone of only speaking up if they're convinced they have a right answer, but trying out this new way of engaging. So be sure to recognize when students are doing that so they know that they're on the right track and they are rewarded for doing so. Now, one variation of this right or wrong answer assumption phenomena is that there are always a few students who are convinced they have nothing to learn from their peers and that you as the professor are the ultimate authority on everything they are there to learn. And so they have no interest in engaging with their peers in the kind of discussions you are trying to generate. So you might see this happening when a student looks directly at you and directs all of their comments and questions to you, but not to their peers. Or when their peers are talking, they don't engage with their peers' comments and questions. Rather, their comments and questions are really sort of popcorn style. They're isolated, they're a bit disconnected from the rest of the discussion, and it's just directed to you. And in the times where they do respond to a peer, it's usually to argue against an idea and then to look to you seeking confirmation or approval. So this kinds of students can be really frustrating because they are sort of fundamentally at odds with the idea of collaborative learning. 
So what do you do with this kind of student? Well, in addition to explaining the, the purpose of the discussion and why in fact you can learn from your peers would be to take it a step further and create a few situations where it's impossible for them to have your exclusive attention and to ignore their peers. So a, a few examples of those kinds of situations would be uh, rather than only having full group discussions as a whole class, having some small group discussions. And so that those students are only speaking with their peers, you are not even in that group, a part of that discussion. And so they have no choice but to engage with other people besides you. Another strategy would be if you are together with the whole class and having a full class discussion, rather than you calling on students or having students um, just call out when they have something to say, you can put all sorts of different types of structures in place or norms for how the group decides who's going to speak next. And several of those particular strategies that help with this particular type of student would be to use a process where whoever speaks in the discussion, they are in charge of calling on the next classmate. And so they call in the next classmate whose hand is up or who is signaling that they want to speak. And then that person makes their comment. And then once they've done that student then looks around the room and calls on somebody with a hand raised. And so this way it visually um, and structurally puts the students in conversation with one another rather than always turning back to you in between each student who speaks. A different uh, but similar type of strategy would be if you as the facilitator are going to be the one calling on students, you can use some visual aids to help determine whether the student you call on is contributing a new idea or is responding to a peer. So what you can do is there, there's any type of visual cue you want to create is fine. Uh, for example, you might tell the class that if they hold up one finger with their raised hand, then that signals to you that you are, or that the student is responding to something that a classmate has just said. Or if the student has two fingers raised, that is signaling to you that they are offering a new idea or a new question or taking the discussion in a new direction. And so that way, when you look out across the room and you see a bunch of single fingers and double fingers up in the air, you can decide, depending on how the discussion is going, whether you want to call on someone who's going to be furthering the discussion or somebody who is taking it in a new direction. And then given your knowledge of this particular student, if they have their two fingers up telling you, I'm bringing up something new, I'm not engaging with my peers, well, you might decide at that moment that this isn't the time to call on that student. Now, even if students understand in theory that there isn't a single correct answer you are secretly looking for, they can still be fearful about sharing their ideas in this new way. And the reason is 
they can feel uncomfortable or self-conscious sharing a partially formed idea or an uncertain idea or a question they have because they don't want to be seen as not smart or unknowingly biased or committed to a view that they know they will likely change. For example, I have had so many first-year students confide in me that they are intimidated to speak up around other students who seem more experienced or knowledgeable about a topic because of how confidently and prolifically those students speak and how they use big vocabulary words my younger students haven't learned yet. I've tried to reassure them that for every talkative student who does have a lot of experience and prior knowledge is another student who is throwing around big words and doesn't actually know what they're talking about. So how do you help your students develop more courage to participate in ways that require some vulnerability and risk-taking? First, I want you to acknowledge that you are asking them to be vulnerable. You are asking them to take a risk and to reassure them that you are going to support them through the process. The more you can put it on the table that everybody gets nervous doing this kind of work, the more likely they are to not feel alone and as though there's something wrong with them for feeling the jitters when it comes to speaking up in a way that is different than what they've done before. Second, because you're asking students to be vulnerable, it's really important to create community building opportunities so that students can develop trust in one another. The stronger the relationships are among students in the class, the more likely they are to take a risk to do something challenging. So there's a lot of different ways to build community in class. I'm going to share three that I have found particularly effective in building those strong relationships. The first strategy is to do check-ins at the beginning of class. Now, this works best when you've got a relatively small group where you can quickly go around the room and ask everyone to say how they're doing. How is their day going so far? How are they feeling right now? How is life? Um, and just show that you see people as whole people um, and that you are there to honor their humanity. And the other students in the class can see that they're not alone if they're going through something hard, if they're tired, if they're feeling stressed out, or whatever it may be. So those just brief check-ins can go a long way in developing trust. If you have a particularly large class where there isn't time to do that, you might break students up into small groups and have students do check-ins within those smaller groups. So even if they're not hearing from everybody, they're still getting to check in with some other people and build relationships in that way. A variation of the check-ins is a similar type of go around the room, only in this way, rather than speaking in general about how you're doing, you ask students to respond to some kind of prompt. And usually these are lighthearted, 
um, icebreaker kind of prompts. So some question, it could be what's your favorite ice cream? Um, or you could invite students themselves to suggest questions that might solicit information they're interested in knowing about one another. And so at the start of each class, you have a different question and students go around the room and answer it briefly as a way to get to know one another more. The third strategy that I would offer for community building would be to find ways for students to share personal stories in class. Now, depending on the subject you're teaching and the nature of the class, there are some classes where this kind of storytelling will be an easier fit than others, but I bet you could be creative to find some opportunities in even the most seemingly disconnected subject. So for example, in a public speaking class, I taught one of the assignments at the beginning of the semester was to share some kind of personal narrative. And this was a way for students to take risks to be vulnerable and get to know one another, which really set the stage for deeper sharing later in the semester. Now, if you're teaching a class that is seemingly really different, maybe you're teaching a math class and it's not clear how personal stories come in, you might still be creative in finding ways to get students to talk about their experience with the subject. Maybe in one of the earlier classes in the semester, you ask students to share stories about their experiences in math classes previously, or you ask students to share, you know, what's a particular challenge they've had in a math class. So invite students to talk about their personal relationship to the subject if it's hard to figure out what a different connection might be. Now, in addition to community building, Another important way to help your students develop more courage to participate in ways that require vulnerability is to offer some low pressure opportunities to practice discussion participation and to build courage. So not everything has to be a full group discussion. You might put students into smaller groups and give them the opportunity to practice this risk taking without such a big public audience. You might also invite students to contribute to a discussion through their writing. So you might, at the beginning of a discussion, pose a question, but rather than jumping into a verbal discussion, you can have everyone write a comment or a question on a note card, and then you can collect those. And then you can read out those anonymous comments and questions as a way to get the conversation going, have everyone's voices be heard, but do so in a way that because they're anonymous, students might take a bigger risk in sharing a partially formed idea or something they're uncertain about, or they might ask a question that they otherwise might be a little too intimidated to ask. So having those anonymous opportunities to test the waters a bit um, earlier in the semester can be helpful. Other possibilities would be doing the post-it 
discussion or a gallery walk where students put their ideas in writing and put them on the walls and then students walk around and they chat with one another about what they are reading. And this is just a different way to get them talking that doesn't feel like a full group public performance, but nevertheless is engaging in the ideas. Now, what's really important as students are taking these risks is for you to demonstrate that these risks are worth it. So in addition to praising their risk taking, as I mentioned earlier, you also want to help to demonstrate that there was value in them taking those risks by being sure that when a student does ask a genuine question or share a partially formed idea that you don't leave that hanging, that you latch on to that and you work from that and you help that contribution move the discussion forward. And so you allow that student to see that by asking that question or by putting that not yet fully formed idea out into the group that that allowed that discussion to go further to go deeper so be sure that you are really attuned to those contributions and making sure that they don't go unnoticed now being hesitant to share an idea for fear that it might be wrong is only one of many reasons students don't talk in class discussions if you're looking for more ways to turn your classroom from blank stares to lively conversation, I want you to check out a free PDF I created for you called The Ultimate Quick Start Guide to Getting Students to Talk. In this guide, you're going to find a series of simple, straightforward strategies you can use right away in your very next class to more confidently get everyone talking. So head over to lauragreenfield.com forward slash one, that's the number one, to grab your copy of the PDF, The Ultimate Quick Start Guide to Getting Students to Talk. Thank you so much for listening in today. And until next time, happy teaching.